Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full season price of the year. Just go to youtube.com slash presale to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games, exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6. No refunds. Are you kidding me? That's what? Yeah, every so often it happens that Ryan is right. 100% right. Not even a little <laughs> bit right. Tucker Pullman, two points last game. No kidding. My man. Hey, neither does me running shirtless, but that turned out very well. It so. did. <laughs> Welcome to the PP1 Podcast. In case you weren't listening to the intro, this is the PP1 Podcast. We've got a special... Uh, I like the Barbara Walters special or an Oprah presents kind of thing. I don't, I'm just we're trying to, this is, it's Ryan. Hey, um, Ted, Ted's working. So I figured I would do this on my own. And he's like, go, go for it. Go for it, Ryan. Spread your wings. We've got the one and only Rob Faye. And I'd say where he's from, but I mean, right now, NEW, I guess, and little CKNW, but really Rob Faye's from absolutely everywhere. If you've been in, uh, if you've been following along, more so in the lower mainland, us, uh, us interior guys probably don't know you as well if you haven't been out to the lower mainland, but uh, we're stretching your name as far as we can go, Rob, and uh, I'm thrilled and honored to have you on here. I appreciate uh, that you could spend some time with me uh, just chatting. Is that a Tom Brady jersey you got on there? It is a Tom Brady jersey. There's no doubt about it. By the way, there's a few things I have to say here. First of all, your 30-second stinger at the beginning of this is better than 80% of the stuff that I see on TV. So I agree. Congrats on that. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> and we're very humble, and too. And I will also say that it is, um, it's actually a good thing to not have people know where you're from. I used to hang my hat on the fact that I was the broadcaster for the Vancouver Canadians. And then when I left that role, it took me a long time to kind of get rid of the logo. Like, you just become associated with something. Right, right. So the fact that I've turned myself into a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, yeah. is actually kind of a cool thing. It's liberating in a way. It's, uh, I mean, and you've, you've done a lot of stuff. And, and I don't mean that, that you know, man, the guy can't hold a job for more than a year or something. Like, you've done a lot of big things for a long time. Um, I've, I've got kind of in my rundown here... Um, I mean, obviously, you've been uh, 1040. You're on uh, doing some stuff on uh, CKNW right now, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, obviously, with the Vancouver Canadians, uh, you had your little, uh, you've got your barber shop. I know you've kind of maybe taken a step back on that publicly that we've seen. You're uh, the 8-bit Picasso that we've seen. I remember uh, you've got that wall. I'm sure it's close to you. You are, uh, you've had Sports Bar Radio. Um, you're a kick connoisseur, as, as am I. Um, an innovator. You're the NEW Prez, which uh, for people that don't know, Nation Extreme Wrestling. Did I get that right? That is a lot of stuff. I got that. I always, I always <laughs> get NEW wrong. But um, I mean, you've been, you've been everything to everybody. Definitely a jack of all trades. Um, I guess like you're clearly not done yet. Um, but are you're not done yet? Like, what's what is Rob Fay right now? Oh, boy. That's a great question. What is Rob Faye right now? Um, I guess I would like to say coming into my own, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Maybe in a second, maybe even a third wave. I mean, it's an, it's a really interesting story, if, if you'd be kind enough to let me just ramble for a bit here. It's but you, baby. The reality you. is, is I, I never went to school. I never went to a journalism school. I don't come from a pedigree of BCIT where I had ins before I even got into the industry. I mean... I remember my first ever job was a story on tugboats in like the late 90s in North Vancouver. There was a boat that was getting christened and I had to go down there and cover it. And I didn't know what I was doing. The next thing you know, I was doing a story on teen pregnancy and birth control. Wow. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but <laughs> it was a foot in the door. Right. And and I think that if I was ever to uh, to write a book, one of the sub chapters or the title itself would probably be getting a foot in the door because I've had some extraordinary opportunities by simply just hanging on and waiting for my moment. I mean, I didn't get my first paycheck at Rogers Cable for seven years. Whoa. That's a lot of volunteering. That's a lot of just hanging around. 
But if you think about it, I got to cover the Canucks. Mm-hmm. I got to cover every year of the Vancouver Grizzlies. I was, um, you know, talking to Emerson Fittipaldi at the at the Indy. I've been a part of some things. I saw John Daly break down at the uh, at the uh, Vancouver Gold PGA stop. Yeah. I mean, I have been around for some weird, amazing, crazy things. Um, and yeah, I wasn't the the main guy. But I was in the conversation waiting for this opportunity. And it's kind of like one of those broadcasters that, uh, or pardon me, one of those baseball players that spends his whole life in the minors and finally gets that call up. I feel like that's what my whole life has been, a life in the minors and waiting for that call. Like the rookie. Like the rookie. That was I mean, the 100 mile an hour fastball. That's that's true. And I mean, we'll, we'll cry for you at some point when, you know, whenever <laughs> that pinnacle comes, we'll be like, I knew that guy. I knew that guy. I love that guy. I got close. I got close. Um, so I, I'm gonna be because you've got the the NEW thing going on right now. Uh, buddy of uh, ours, uh, Chris Phillips, who uh, runs the Ballhawks podcast, also part of uh, that helps no one uh, fantasy football show. Which will oh, I can't wait to get back to that. I'm chomping at the bit for football. Um, quick question: NEW, you've got your summer series going on. There's gonna be uh, one at the Nat. Nat Bailey, which is just, I mean, awesome as far as a venue in itself. Obviously, it takes you back kind of full circle a little bit. Um, but we're going to add a little wrestling to the mix. Um, is there going to be an NEW Kelowna? I know you were trying to stretch out um, a little bit more into BC. And I, I get how, you know, booking venues and finding the right venue that makes sense um, in all these places, um, is that still on the horizon? Is there even a date that's tentatively being looked at? Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing that I've learned in what is almost a year in wrestling in independent wrestling. It's hard to believe that September marks a one year anniversary for us. But in the beginning, I was like, oh yeah, we're going to go to the Island. We're going to go to Kelowna. We're going to go to Toronto. We're going to do everything in between. Um, but I think as I've learned the respect thing in independent wrestling, is it's not real good to just kind of bring the trailer into a different person's territory. Yeah, it's not a circus. And you, it, it is kind of like that, but at the same time, not. And so there's a, there is a wrestling group up there already, Thrash Wrestling, mm-hmm. um, that does some things, maybe on a little bit of a smaller scale. But again, we're in Vancouver. We have a luxury of calling ourselves kind of big. But if anything, I'd love to go up there and work with them. I don't think I would come and just bombard Kelowna or Kamloops or wherever but if they'd be interested in co-hosting a show um, I'd be all over that because I think the interior's got a lot of good fans we've got a fantastic wrestling promotion right now we were itching to go up to Prince George and then got beat by like a week or two weeks by a different company and I sat there and I watched how Prince George completely got into it and I was like man there are so many fans around this province and I'd love to get to all of them but only if I can work with the people that are already in the territory. Man, so respectful. You're such a respectful guy. <laughs> I, th- I mean, it makes sense. Now, I've got a name, if you ever do write this book, from tugboats to triple threat matches. Or table ladders and chairs or tag team. From I don't know. tugboats to turnbuckles. We can, Tur- we can I like that even better. That's, that's, a little bit more, <laughs> that's a little bit more to the point. I like that to turnbuckles. Um, traditional radio, obviously, uh, when 1040 kind of had its, its final day, um, traditional radio is nearing its end. Um, you then went on to do your own thing um, with Hub and the Nation. Um, what were you thinking when you did this? And then did any of the other like 1040 guys reach out afterwards um, to maybe pick your brain? Obviously, Sakaris and Price, um, you know, they've started their thing. Uh, we've seen that uh, Donnie and Dolly have their show. Like you guys all... I mean, I guess in a way is is absolutely amazing and a little bit not surprising because you guys all did have a brand, as you were saying, like a logo, and you guys were all pretty quick to the to the draw to find something else to to fill that void right away. Um, but you were the first one, and I mean, everybody was tuning in. I know I was, um, and it still had the that Rob Fay feel. It it everyone like you created you know the nation. And it was like everybody was chomping at the bit to get on board, whether it was as a, a viewer, a listener. Um, obviously, you had some sponsorship as well to make that happen. Um, maybe walk me through that. And then, like I said, did anybody else reach out to maybe pick your brain on how they could take their next step? 
Yeah. Uh, well, this might take a minute because there's a couple of questions there. Um, I, I'll start with the thought process on what that was. So I had been struggling to go and figure out what I was because before I got into Rob Nation Radio and all of that, I was a broadcaster for the Vancouver Canadians and that always trumped everything. Right. And so the only opportunity that I ever got to host a show was in my off season because I couldn't do it in season. So I really felt like I was never really a true part of the 1040 family because I was just the guy that kind of parachuted in for a little bit. I was either hosting for bro Jake or, you know, insert fill in name here. Um, and it wasn't only until maybe like the last year or two where Rob Gray before Trevor Martins sat me down and said, we'd like to, you know, give you this late night time slot doesn't pay anything, but you may get, maybe can get some sponsorships and away you go. And I just thought, I'd love to kind of just do radio. Like I didn't even care about the pay. I just was getting paid by the Canadians. I just wanted to build an audience that wasn't just baseball because I had a lot more to say than baseball. And it kind of built from there. So sure enough, then all of a sudden that call comes and we all get gassed at the same time. Uh, I still remember that like it was yesterday. And because I had already had the relationship in baseball with Hubcast, I basically called them. I think it was like the day after we all got fired. And I basically just said, hey, this is what's happened. I've, we're red hot right now. Like Rob Fay Nation Radio in the last couple of weeks before TSN's demise was as hot as it had. It was hotter than it had ever been. Well, you had the Facebook Lives like and everything too, right? Like, I, I, again, I'm yeah. out, we're out in Kelowna. So 1040 when I moved back was, uh, it, I mean, aside from tuning in like via online, it was a little bit tougher to get a hold of that. Because we don't get that, you know, the sister channel where we can just automatically have it syndicated everywhere. Um, we had to make an effort. And I mean, I made sure I did just because it was, it was taking off. And I think every, you know, you see online, everybody was just into it. It was, it was when we did our Facebook lives and when we did our promo videos with Chantel and I, and when we did stuff, I can't, I, I think almost the station didn't want to put the numbers out because we were massively ahead of every other show and that's with no disrespect they obviously had more quote-unquote listeners sure but the online the social media stuff it wasn't even it was like a hundred to one um when we were talking about engagement like we had absolutely blown it out of the water so anyways um we had the conversation hubcast and i and they said, we can do this pretty quick. And I said, well, you know, the sooner we could do it, the better, because I want to keep that momentum. We're still in season. And uh, I think if we could do this, I didn't think it was going to be six days later. But sure enough, six days later, there we are. Uh, it took me a couple of shows to figure out where the camera was and what the format was. And how are we going to do a, a post-game show without, you know, any of the video because we didn't have the rights. But just the fact that we had the first person from 1040 show a sign of life mm -hmm. that you know was the first one to come and say hey we're still around was great i will say this and i say this you know lovingly because i i have respect for everybody very few people from 1040 accepted me i was kind of the black sheep i was kind of the guy that did my own thing they were long gone before i even showed up at the station so there was really no carryover i mean all those day parts would hang out in the you know the jocks room or they'd go golf or they'd go do whatever Nobody ever saw me. Oh, you're the night guy. The guy that was, yeah. I was the night guy. And that was um, that was hard for me to process when I became a part of that letting go because everybody was so attached to that station. I was actually embarrassed that I got the reception that I got when the nation started because I didn't want I, I didn't want to take away from Matt and Blake or what they were doing with Moj and Donnie and all those guys. Like those are the stalwarts of 1040, right. not me, not right. the guy that just parachuted in once in a while. So I almost, I, I said to Matt Sakaris actually one of the few that actually did reach out to me. And I said, Hey man, like I'm actually, I, I don't like that. I'm getting the media right now. I don't like that. I'm getting the attention because it's really not my thing. A lot of you guys haven't even come up and, you know, said your thanks to all the listeners because that's how quick I got back on the air. So I don't know if there was resentment, um, Jeff Patterson was a guy that I hadn't really talked to a whole bunch. We had kind of known each other. We're in similar circles. But I knew if I was going to do a Canuck show, I was not going to be successful without some instant credibility, which Jay Pat brought. So yeah. it was mutually beneficial. It got him on air. It got him some you know, money coming his way. I got some money coming my way. It got me on air. We haven't really talked since, but 
in that blip, we both understood that we had still a wave to ride. Right. And we rode it to the end of the season. Kind of so, need each other um, a little bit too, right? I mean, it feeds the, you know, the feeds the wolf kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I will say this about the 1040 guys, like full marks to them for being able to kind of pick themselves up off the mat. I did it because I have two kids. I did it because I don't have the luxury. Uh, I didn't get a buyout. I didn't get six months to kind of just kind of figure out what my next move was. Right. I had to go right now because that was, you know, how I was able to provide for my family. So when people ask what was the rush, that was the rush. I didn't get a buyout. I had to get off my ass and get going right away. Yeah, rents due, mortgages due. I, I kind of disagree with that you weren't really one of the, like you say you're kind of embarrassed to be kind of included in the hype. I think you had created more of like a cult following, if you will. And I think knowing the Vancouver market, I mean, you look at the Canucks, you look at uh, even the the Lions. Or like, we look at a lot of these players, and sure, there was there's been the Sedins, the Luongo. We've got Patterson now, uh, Quinn Hughes. But I mean, the following for guys like a Tyler Mott or or a Jeff Cowan back in the day, or um, uh, who is it for? Uh, Oh my goodness. Uh, like uh, Rory Fitzpatrick. Like there's so many of these cult heroes, these these fabled legends that like we just cling on to them because we identify with, man, look at that guy go. And I mean, we can identify with you in a way because, you know, yeah, we're, we all love sports too. You've got a little bit of, uh, you know, a reach because you have a little bit maybe more access than we would, but you're bringing it to us and we're like, well, we can identify with that. And we also identify with the other guys too because they're getting, you know, we're, we're, they're getting the stars on their show and this and that. You know, you're going to, you know, Matt, Matt and Blake or, or Jeff and they're, they're getting these interviews with whoever. And yet we're still tuning into your show. We're still following around because there is credibility there because you were attached to that brand and we just treated everybody the same as a listener, I think. And then when the change happened, we're like, well, we're not going to leave this guy high and dry. We're not going to leave those guys high and dry. And then that's when the, you know, the birth of a lot of these podcasts, a lot of the, the live streaming happened. And I mean, for us, like we all lost too, as a listener, as a viewer, because now our, our portion of our family just, they were hanging by a thread and like, well, we need that. We need that in our lives too. So I think even like the cult heroes, and I think that's kind of a cool thing to be, I guess, because they're, they're still pretty awesome too, that we can grasp onto that and to see it change, obviously, to now where you're at. It's like, wow, like what a turn. You talk about it being a year at NEW and like, holy, like look where a year's yeah. gone. Even from where everything went when there was the drop off there. Now I'm like, there's no way that's the same thing that, that we were looking at before. I think, um, you know, just to finish that thought on 1040 before we kind of flip the page, mm -hmm. on it, you know, there was interest because when I first started taking on the Canucks, as far as like challenging some of the things, I would get absolutely just drilled on social media um, by Canuck Twitter. And that was okay. I was a baseball guy. What the fuck did I know, right? True. So <laughs> realistically, I remember the first time that I really took it on the chin and it was when I said that Elias Pedersen needed to focus on hockey more and not on his social media. So I remember much. that. I remember that. And did I eat it and I ate it for days. Log off. Yeah. And the reason that I brought that up is I don't think a lot of people realize that I had spent 14 years around athletes that were Elias Pedersen's age. And I had been a part of two different professional organizations in the Oakland A's and the Toronto Blue Jays. Right. And both of those both of those organizations make it a real big mandate to make sure that their athletes, baseball players, don't make social media a priority. And so aside from maybe Marcus Stroman, I can't think of another Blue Jay that is that out there on social media to the point where, you know, people could bring up that point that I brought up. So I yeah, yeah. had a little bit of background on seeing how organizations dealt with their players. So here I would watch Elias Pedersen and he'd obviously had a company or a PR company that was doing stuff for him. But I just think when, you know, when it's high tide, sure. But when it's low tide, it's a bad look. So I totally. brought that up and I ate it. And the justification came a year later, a full calendar year later, when he sat down with Ian McIntyre and said, you know, 
I need to stop focusing on my social media so much. I just got to play hockey. I remember hearing that and sitting back in my car seat thinking, good I fucking knew it. Yeah. And I knew it and I wore it. But this is the thing. If you're not Ray Ferraro, if you're not a guy that's played, if you're not, you know, Bob McKenzie, the credibility is it, it's almost impossible to attain because you are taking on a team and individuals that this city beloves. And I wasn't bringing it up to make a name for myself. I was bringing it up because I was looking at it and saying, this is a problem. So I didn't go back, you know, when that came out and, you know, looked at the receipts and tried to drill everybody for what they had said to me. I just wanted people to realize that I'm trying to do this well, which is why when I started to take on the Canucks at the climax of Jim Benning and Travis Green, yeah. I didn't go after those guys. Those are easy. I'll let the day parts do that. Yeah. I wanted to go after Francesco Aquilini because I believed that he was the nucleus of many problems within that organization mm -hmm. because I felt that he didn't need to be sitting at the table. He didn't need to have a say. Sign the fucking check. Get out of the yeah. way. Let the hockey guys do hockey things. And if you talk to a multiple number of people that have left that organization, they all say, yeah, the owner's really hands-on, which when, you know, when things are going sideways, yeah, it's easy to blame the coach, but sometimes you got to get the guy out of there that needs to have a say that doesn't need to have a say. So that was kind of where I felt fans finally started to see that I wasn't afraid to go for it. And even the other guys at the station were kind of like, woof. And I was just like, yeah. But you're thinking, what do you have to lose, really? Well, it wasn't necessarily what I have to lose, but it's just, again, I've been in pro sports. I've seen general managers that get in the way. I've seen owners that meddle. Like, I've physically seen it with my own eyes. Like, yeah. I'm not just coming out of BCIT trying to make a name for myself. I've worked in pro sports for 15 years. Like, I've seen shit. And I don't think that a lot of people understood that. And by the time that I finally gained the credibility of the market, wouldn't you know it, the station blows a tire. Go figure. Um, you were talking about the Vancouver Canadians. Actually, I've got my next point here. So um, obviously with the progression of the current Blue Jays, aside from you know uh, Montoya getting canned the other day, um, when you're doing the Vancouver Canadians gig, um, what excited you the most on the field and maybe off the field that you could see taking off at the pros or in the sport itself. I, 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 what did I write here? What's the most excited? What? Ugh, gotcha. Here we go. What ex, or what excited you the most on or off the field? I guess that that maybe the Blue Jays could you know adopt. I guess is probably the question. I well, it's easy for me. I think that they have had a real good run with developing talent. I mean, you can't say that they haven't been successful when you look back over the last like several years and you can say. There's Alec Manoa. And even guys that didn't finish with the Blue Jays. Like, there's Noah Syndergaard. There's Marcus Stroman. There's Kevin Pillard. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, just an embarrassment of riches. But it's tough developing players in today's game. And I think that they were able to do it right. But the guy that they developed the best is now their manager, John Schneider. I mean, he was with us in 2011. He came back with us again. I think it was, what, 2014 and then in 2015. And then all of a sudden caught the the Vladdy and Bo Rocket to the major leagues. And I just look at the type of people that they bring into that organization. And if I'm a Blue Jay fan, that's probably what excites me most. You want to cheer for good people. Um, and I feel like they've got an organization full of good human beings. And I don't say that because they're friends. I say that because I've seen assholes in this industry. Yeah. And the Blue Jays have a lot of really good human beings and good people. And I think that's why it's easy to cheer for them. So you see Schneider go up there and obviously they've kind of had that relationship with the players as well. You look at what the Canucks just did last season and they kind of made their change, whether or not those were the exact problems, because there were still problems on the ice as well. Um, the Blue Jays have always been, I mean, aside from when they just tried going for it um, in the, was it 2015, 14, I, my dates escape me. Um, they're they're almost back there, and yet it's the same couple problems that they've continued to have as long as I've been a fan anyway. And yet they're so close, but when you look at what they've done, it's the same old thing. Like if they're going to hit a home run, it's a solo shot. There's not like a multiple guys getting on base. Like that's always the joke I make. Like, oh, it was a home run last night. Solo shot, but still, it was a it counts for one. But they're not getting all that extra. They're they're getting some of the pitching. They're getting some bad luck seeing Gossman go down. Um, 
that was ugh, taking a driller off the ankle. I took one off my pinky in slow pitch, and I'm still paying for it. So it's uh, <laughs> the, the pitchers get no love. But it's like whenever they're close enough, something happens. And I feel there was a few things that happened. I still think the Jays, there's a legitimate team there. But it's almost like they, they have to, they either have drafted really well, which they have, and developed, or they're just, they're just missing. And then they have to go through, like every other team does, but they have to throw a ton of money at the situation to, to get close. Now, I mean, I think they're close, but like, it, are the Jays still, are they there right now? Even though that division, I mean, adding the extra playoff spot and the playing game and all that. Do you think they're still going to make the playoffs with what they have? Do you think that this was kind of the little kick in the butt that they needed? Or or is this kind of like, well, we're going to have to figure things out throughout this season and next year we'll have a full year to, to bounce back? No, nah, I think this is still a, a good year for them. And I think with Major League Baseball opening up the playoffs, I mean, obviously it gives them another opportunity even to just get a play-in game. But it's a good team. I yeah. mean, they've been kind of snake-bitten when you think about it. You have Ryu gone for the year. Mm -hmm. Kikuchi hasn't lived up to his billing. Barrios is a 500 guy. So you've really got Stripling and Manoa. Now, Stripling succeeded everybody's expectations. And Manoa, uh, nobody thought that a kid that was that young, even with all that talent, was going to start the season 9-1. and one. So I think, all things considered, with the injuries, the adjustments that they've had to make, are they going to have to go get more pitching? Yep, they're going to have to pay some more. But I think considering everything they've been through, that they're still five games above 500 as of this conversation. And, you know, still with that offense, I mean, you still got George Springer, Bo Bouchette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You got Alejandro Kirk, who's a starter in the All-Star game. Yeah. Um, you've got some pretty good pieces. Teoscar Hernandez. I mean, how can you overlook a name like that? So this is a team that's going to hit. But I really feel that a change at the management level was the perfect move. You don't have to move guys out of town. You don't have to sit them up straight. Bring in a guy that has the ear of the entire room. The, the thing with Charlie is, and I've been very fortunate to see it with my own eyes. I don't have to get this on hearsay. Charlie is a really nice guy, but Charlie's a really recluse guy as well, um, meaning he likes to go for a run in the morning, and he likes to you know, keep his door closed at times when it comes to you know meetings, maybe not as many as he should have, and getting the lines of communication going, and um, John Schneider, again, I have, I got ordained as a minister to get him married to his wife in Tampa. You want to know how what? close I am to John Schneider? Really? I was a minister at his wedding. So I know John as well as anybody. And I can tell you this, he's got a magnetism that makes you want to pull for him. He has the unbelievable uncanny ability to make you want to fight harder and paddle harder. And I just think that Despite everything they've been through, he's the kind of guy that would probably walk into that clubhouse day one of becoming the manager and look at the entire room and say, we're going to win the fucking World Series. Like, he's just that guy. And you just buy so in. You buy in immediately. And it doesn't matter if you're at short season Vancouver, AA New Hampshire, wherever he's gone, you want to play for John Schneider. And wow. I think uh, whether they get there this year or next year, um, uh, the Blue Jays couldn't have made the smarter move at the smarter time. It is a perfect decision. And I'm not biased. I just know who he is. And I know I know how he'll be able to rally that organization. So this is going to be basically the probably the most unsung moment of the season, basically. Um, again, it could pitching. be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> they still need to get through nine innings, too. You know, I think if, if Ross goes out there and says... You know, we've still got some guys in the minor league system that are valuable. Um, I think there's a couple of moves that they could probably make. I don't think it's going to be anything blockbuster. I mean, knock on wood. Yeah. But, I mean, they've made a lot of moves already. I mean, to be able to uh, – you got to remember, a couple of years ago, getting Hyunjun Ryu was a really big get for the Blue Jays. And they went out, they got George Springer. And being able to pull the trigger with Minnesota to get Jose Barrios, that's a big deal. Like, these are moves that, you know – didn't really happen under the Alex Anthopoulos era. A lot of people say, well, Alex got them to the postseason. That's because in his last year, he just decided to empty the vault. But prior to that, there wasn't a lot of movement the way that Ross and Mark had been able to kind of right. consistently at least go and get one marquee name every year. I mean, it's been fun to watch too. I, I mean, because there's only one team in Canada 
for now anyway. I mean, again, growing up for basically any of us, you know, 30 to 40 somethings and a little bit above, like this has been it. Like, you know, West Coast guys, there's definitely the Mariners contingent as well. There's the age old Yankees, Red Sox and Dodgers fans. But I mean, a lot of us are still that that Blue Jays contingent. And like we've seen wins. We have seen the top of the mound twice. I mean, I was pretty young. I remember it. But I mean, when they made their last run, I was uh, we were building our house, actually. And I was living at my my parents place and we were watching. Um, I think it was uh, I think it was like the playing game against the Orioles. And I remember when uh, when uh, when uh, Edwin hit that the walk off, and my dad and I are in the other room, and I just like I'm a grown man, thirty plus, and I went up like I almost cried, and I just hugged him like we're going back, and we were just so happy because we knew that they were a legitimate contender, and I mean you know that was proven uh, wrong eventually, but um, you know, they, they had they, some amazing teams. Team. They were amazing teams. Yes. And that feeling was back like Blue Jays playoff baseball was it's again, you know, bring it back to kind of a Canucks thing. When you know you've got a contender, it it hits different. It just hits a little bit different. Even, you know, even for the teams that, that like you're wearing a Tom Brady jersey. I've been watching Man in the Arena. And it's funny, like, you know, they all thought they're contenders. But you that those teams in the locker room anyway they knew what they had when things were at the pinnacle, when they knew they weren't just a team that was going to make the playoffs. They knew, hey, if we do these things right, I don't think anybody's going to beat us. I mean, you look at when they lost uh, the perfect season. I mean, aside from <laughs> aside from just some sheer luck, really, I mean, Tom Brady's probably got another two rings to, to his name. And you look at those teams, and they were just they're walking all over. Like, they're putting up, you know, they're scoreboard breakers every game. So when you see the Blue Jays get to where they're at again, and hopefully it comes soon, I mean, it's such a special feeling. And again, yeah, they do need pitching. I think any good team that's going to win needs, needs solid pitching to win. You can get by on small ball for, for a fair amount of time, but you still need guys to close it out when it matters. So you still need three strikes. Or... And they still have a really good closer in Jordan Romano. Oh, yeah. Like, He's phenomenal. No about it. There, there's pieces it just needs to be organized, and I'm curious to know, again, this is where you get into analytic and you get into executive. Like, the, it's gone are the days where the manager just sits there with a cigar in his mouth and, you know, cracks open the Sharpie and makes the starting nine. Yeah. He's sitting there with a team of people, including the general manager, including his coaching staff, a couple of analytic guys. Yeah. And they go through it with a fine-tooth comb. It, you know, the old purists won't like it, but... The Blue Jays now have to realize what they are. They're going to look at their data. They're going to, you know, try to do the best that they can to keep everybody healthy. And I don't know. I mean, they're in a division that's got the Red Sox, Tampa, and the Yankees, who are unbelievable. They're playing 750 baseball. So if the Blue Jays get in, anything's possible. But there's no reason that if they get there that they couldn't make a run. They're they're young. They're vibrant. They're talented. Um, and and I, if I'm the Yankees, it's probably not the team that I want to face in the first round. Wouldn't that be something, hey? Wouldn't that be something? Sure would. Um, <laughs> I, like like I said, when we were going to set this up, I kind of had a little bit of everything going for Rob Faye. I want to talk about NEW. Who wakes up and says, hey, let's start a wrestling federation? Did Alpine Credits give you guys like a solid loan to buy absolutely everything, the ring, everything? And I mean, it's taken off. Obviously, we're we're close to that year you're saying. And, you know, basically sellouts at, at all the events. What makes NEW so special and what makes them go into Western Canada? Like who, who, and I guess one final question, who is your unicorn booking? If you could have one booking, but tell me about NEW, basically inform everybody that maybe hasn't kind of paid attention to the wrestling side of things, but like what, what happened? How does that just happen? Cause no one just starts well, a wrestling federation. <laughs> yeah. There's truth in that. Okay, I'll, I'll answer the first one really There's quickly. There's a lot there. What makes this special is the wrestlers themselves. It's it's incredible, the talent that's in this region. So I'm going to back this story up. I'm going to tell you how it came to be, and I'll try to do this as concisely as possible. So shortly after getting let go from 1040, uh, for a good old friend of mine, Chris Perry, who used to cover the Canadians, um, called me up, and he says, hey, I got a media company. You want to do a podcast called Sports Bar Radio? I said, sure. Mm-hmm. So I started doing these podcasts and everything was going swimmingly. Everything was fine. 
And he just peeked his head in my door one day and he says, you like wrestling, right? And I said, oh God, I love wrestling. And I thought he was going to have me go after a couple of wrestlers for the podcast, something simple and easy going. He says, well, I'm thinking maybe we could do like a documentary, like a hour or two documentary on wrestling and the history of wrestling in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, oh, dude, that sounds awesome. He goes, well, what do you think? And I said, sure. So this is what NEW was supposed to be. It was supposed to just be a two-hour documentary about wrestling. But as we did the interviews, it took me like an hour. And I said to Chris, I go, Chris, we're going to have a real big problem here. And he's like, what? So we have all these interviews, but we don't have any footage. And he says, well, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, why don't we just put on like a mock show and bring the wrestlers out? We'll shoot it from six different angles. We'll get as much footage as we can. And that'll be what we use. So he says, and this uh, this is going to go on my tombstone. He says, okay, fine, build me a show. So to me, when somebody says build me a show, I went back to my Vancouver Canadians roots, and I'm like, okay, we need a logo, we need a theme song, we need you know, we need the all whole these show, different things. yeah. So I got building, and sure enough, the wrestlers themselves looked at what we had created, and they said, you know, man, this is uh, this is good enough to be a full scale promotion. And I looked at Chris and I didn't even want to look at Chris because I knew he was, you know, the answer. And so sure enough, NEW one led to NEW two, three, four. And now we're getting ready for NEW nine and we're getting ready for our first year anniversary. But what's, what's engaging about this is it was really done just with smoke and mirrors. Like it was not supposed to be what it became, but we learned really early and i said this to chris i go we have to make sure that we treat these wrestlers like professionals i'm not going to run a business that isn't the way that we ran baseball that isn't professional so our pay scale was higher than anybody else or i shouldn't say that our pay scale was amongst the highest in the region um i would like to think that we treat our wrestlers like professionals we provide them with things like good venues to wrestle out of crowds that we work to build and and you know again we had a thousand people at the commodore ballroom they don't have concerts with a thousand people in the commodore ballroom so we kind of delivered and and i I remember reading i think it was just like two weeks ago one of our wrestlers went on a podcast and somebody asked him about new wrestling and apparently how it went was we came in and pitched all the wrestlers at this general meeting we left and then the senior wrestlers were like you know what man a lot of people will make promises. Don't put a lot of stock in this. And sure enough, like six, seven months later, they circled back and said, you know what? These are the guys that actually followed through on every promise they made. Wow. And that to me was the most liberating thing was I went in there. I said a lot of shit, but I backed it up. And that's why I think NEW is having successes because our wrestlers bought in, our fan base buys in, and it is glaringly similar to the Vancouver Canadians. It's both young aspiring athletes trying to get to the next level i know the travel i know the pay i know what they need to eat like i couldn't have had a better prep in life than baseball to get ready for this and i think that's a part of the reason that we're having some modest success early on funny how that works out hey you know it's amazing you just see again we i brought up full circle before but like you go back to what you remember what you've learned what you've seen along the way and then you bring it into this and you think well what's different I mean, the sport's different, that's it. But you're still working with people. You're still working with running something and planning and scheduling and, and making sure everything goes through. You know what you need. You need announcers. You need the the start. You need, I mean, again, you've got the, there's the wrestling show um, with, you know, you've got Wyatt, you've got Jordan. Um, is it Mike Paris as well that's involved in that? Yeah. Like you've got the right people. And at the same time, the right people are known in the market as well. So now you've got an even further buy-in. So everyone knows the players at the top, and we're all learning. We're all learning the product. So we know what the product is. We know the players that are putting it on, and the people coming in. Because I haven't been to a show. I've watched on YouTube, but which, and I'm starting to to figure things out. But at the same time, if people are coming to a show for the first time, they know a few of the parts. But now they're going to learn live. They're going to see how this all comes and think. If they were to go to Canadian's game and see like, oh, well, it's kind of the same thing, but mm-hmm. it's different. And again, yourself coming full circle, you've gone through all those steps and you've seen what it takes to succeed. You've also seen what happens when, when things don't go well. So you know how to prepare for those things. And I think that takes time. That's not something that just happens overnight. I mean, in this case, 
even though it did kind of happen overnight, there was still preparations to make sure that you did it right, even as a documentary. Well, I will say this, and you brought it up, so I got to accentuate it. <laughs> Surrounding myself with people that are better than me and more knowledgeable than me than has, has made a huge difference. Like Wyatt, Justin Morissette, Bowman, and Mike Paris is like almost winning the lottery when it comes to knowledge. And what's funny about those guys is they're all kind of quirky in their own way, but they're all super passionate about wrestling. And so I look to them, for example, the first two broadcasts that we did for NEW1 and NEW2, I was the lead voice. I was the broadcaster, and I had Jordan Bowman on one side and Justin Morissette on the other. And I will tell you this. What makes people successful in business is when they can identify the problem, even when the problem is them. And so I'm broadcasting, and I've got the most experience of the three. Like, I've done more than 1,100 baseball games. I know how to sit down and get through a broadcast. But I'm listening to Bowman, and I'm listening to Justin, and I'm thinking – I'm just in the way. You're the odd man because out. Because yeah. they know all the moves. They know all the sequences. They know everything. So I pulled them aside and I said, listen, man, we're going to change up the broadcast. I'm taking myself out. And I think they knew, but they were too respectful to say anything. And I don't think I was bad. I just think we could be better with them. And so I sit back and I listen to their broadcast. And even our wrestlers have said it. They're just like, those two are awesome together. And I think that's what I'm most proud of is a lot of guys would say, no, I'm the lead guy. I'm the lead horse. I'm going to do it myself. I just want what's best for the brand. And that's what I was really built to understand is nothing is bigger than the logo. And so it, it, it's kind of cliche-ish, but there's a lot of truth in that. Mm -hmm. And so when our wrestlers saw that I was willing to make that adjustment and that everybody around me understood that I was just in it for the betterment of the brand, I think people kind of looked at me and said, okay, this guy's just not here to be like a lot of wrestlers that maybe start to get on. will just go out and create their own promotion. Like that's the problem with wrestling that I've seen in the, you know, 10 or 11 months that I've been here is a lot of wrestling companies. They can make real fancy posters and they can, you know, get a ring out to a venue, but it's the details. It's the little things. And if you're making yourself the champion and if you're taking spots away from young aspiring people because you're just trying to get your own reps, mm -hmm. you don't gain any credibility. So the fact that I've never wrestled, the fact that I don't put myself first is, you know, some will say, well, he's never wrestled. He doesn't know. I said, yeah, but that's fresh set of eyes. That's a new perspective. I don't know how to wrestle, but I can tell you I can market and I can brand and I can build and I can take care of people like our wrestlers come from out of town. We don't put them on the shittiest airline. We don't put them at the worst hotel. I mean, we have our wrestlers stay at the Hyatt. Now the Rosedale on Robson. We put them in good environments because we know that when they go back home, be it to Ontario, Quebec, the prairies, wherever, they they're going to be like, dude, this MEW is for real. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want the wrestlers in this region to have a place where they can go, where people want to come and wrestle them and be a part of our brand. That's the biggest feather in our cap is the fact that people across the country are like, when are you coming here? That's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're already asking that. It's not even a year in. And like I've, I've yeah. pestered you on, on our, through the DMs. I'm like, man, I don't think this guy ever wants to talk to me again because all I'm asking, like, when, when can you serve us? When can you give us this amazing toy? We want to play with it too. But I mean, and that's saying something where we're in Kelowna. We've got a ton of great things to offer out here. And yet when you dial it back and you bring it, like it is at this point a lower mainland product but you're serving that it's it's almost better and I'm in the flooring industry and I see a lot of these um, companies they'll offer like they offer tile or they offer hardwood and then they try to get into the other markets like a vinyl plank or something but they're really good at something else oh but we can make a quick buck on this why not just be amazing at one thing right now and maybe there's a time and a place but why not perfect the product where it is right now and if there's an opportunity to move it up and, and change it up, sure, maybe make it something special and have a, you know, a, the, the traveling show or whatever for one summer or something like that. But at that point, you know you can do that. But if you're building what you've got and you're perfecting it, then you know when you do move on to that other thing, you know exactly what you have and that it's perfected there and that you're not gonna you're not gonna diminish the product, you're not gonna suffer, it's already established and you can bring it back and you can move it out occasionally and but bring it back and do something well in there. And I think having seen, having heard you say that and how you've built it out there, 
that actually makes a lot of sense because I thought, oh man, it'd be so great to do NEW at like uh, Waterfront right on, like have have the stage like they do for Canada Today. And like, how great would that be? Like the setting sells itself. Like when the BC Lions were rumored to have their their waterfront stadium out by the the tracks there. And like, oh, who wouldn't like looking at the mountains and the ocean on a Saturday night watching football? Well, you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense to do that. And in your case, it doesn't make sense to necessarily move away right now unless you're partnering, like you said. I think that's a smart move to to perfect what you've got out there because I think it only grows the brand, it grows the product so much more. We challenge, the, the biggest challenge that we face is there's non-wrestling fans. Like, for example, when I worked at, at the Canadians, everybody loves baseball. Everybody loves sunshine and beer. I mean, it's the easiest sell in the city. Totally. Because you've got a historic stadium. you got the feel-good Canadians, the little team that could. And there's a lot of reasons to like it. I mean, one of the early challenges that we faced was getting insured. And I don't think a lot of people will look at this side of things. But if you can't get insured, you can't put on a show. Or at least you shouldn't put on a show. And so we had to really distance ourselves. I'll never forget this. And I'm going to say their name. When we called to River Rock Casino, we wanted to get in there because we thought they had a perfect setup. It'd be a great way to do business and get off, uh, get off and running. And they wouldn't touch us with a 10 foot pole. And so, you know, afterwards I said, I wonder why we, you know, missed that much. And so I did some research, combat sports, they put us in with MMA. They put us in with boxing because they see the ring, they see the turnbuckles. Mm -hmm. They assume there's going to be blood and carnage and they want to know part of it. So one of the very first things that I did was try to educate even our business partners to say, listen, we're a little more Cirque du Soleil than we are boxing. And I think you have to understand that beyond the the wall um, is just a, a bunch of choreographed moves. Sure, we have winners and losers and belts and every once in a while somebody hurts himself, but we are very in control of what our environment is. We totally understand what we're bringing to your table. There's nothing that we don't have under control. And it was only when I educated those people to say, listen, I know what you see on TV. And yes, there's going to be some similarities, but we're not in the combat sport business. We're in the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. Immediately, our insurance turned around on us and said, yeah, we're in. Immediately, the venues opened up. Like if I think of what we've done in year one, I mean, we've done Vancouver Convention Center. We've done Studio Nightclub, the gaming stadium, which I still consider one of my favorite venues of them all. We've done the Commodore Ballroom twice and sold out both shows. Um, and now we're going to Nat Bailey Stadium. I mean, that's a pretty good year one with a lot of people putting their trust in us and us not breaking the chandeliers. So I think we're in good shape. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, so I asked before, and I've actually got two questions because one of these rolls into the other. Um, first of all, who is your unicorn booking? And maybe it's not a unicorn because maybe this, I, I know that you can get former big talents from from you know WCW from uh, WWF back in the day WWE now um, or guys that uh, you know they're still doing house shows essentially who who is maybe one talent that you're hoping to get is there maybe like someone that you've been you know pub or that you'd be willing to release that you're you're trying to book to at least get a name to maybe you know a one-off uh, a one-off match so my one of my two unicorns we got um, when I was a fan of independent wrestling in this market, El Fantasmo was like the first guy that I looked at and said, that guy's a star. And uh, to have him on our shows, we've had him twice, but to have him just a couple of weeks ago at the Commodore uh, was extraordinary. And I looked around and I just felt like a kid. I could like I look around a lot at the fans and how they react. And that to me was really gratifying. And he gave us a hometown discount. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. Put one of our wrestlers over. Um, he's he's a pro's pro. I sit here every day, and I mean this sincerely, thinking to myself, I know John Cena is filming in Vancouver. That's right. I know he's in our neighborhood right now. How could I possibly even get him out just to wave to the crowd? Um, because, I mean, that's an icon. Mm-hmm. And I know that he's locked in with WWE, and he can't do those things, but... I mean, Triple H is showing up in Ireland. I mean, people every once in a while show up. I don't even need John Cena to wrestle. But if I could even have that conversation and bring him out to a show just so that the fans could get a taste of, you know. Who's in the crowd. The icons in the industry. Hulk Hogan does nothing for me. Ric Flair does nothing for me. Bret Hart does nothing for me. Um, 
but just to have somebody that aligns with our core values, like a John Cena, mm-hmm. would be uh, definitely my unicorn. Yeah, he's is he's obviously like filming a movie or something out there. I, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Vancouver's a great city. Okay. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> I think his girlfriend's Canadian. I, I'm not sure okay. if she's from British Columbia, but I think there's there's multiple reasons that he's in this area a lot. I mean, I remember uh, back in my Jersey City days, uh, one of the pub owners, uh, Baseline's Pub, I'm sure you've heard, um, out in uh, in Fraser. Um, so the owner's a Cowboys fan. And uh, one day, Ben Roethlisberger comes into his, his pub. Like, he, I think a season before, won the Super Bowl. And, like, finally left. He goes, hey, man. Like, they had chat. He goes, I don't mean to be rude. He's like, what are you doing in Surrey? <laughs> and I guess... Uh, <laughs> His uh, now wife, I believe, uh, she was a model or something and met her in New York, but she's originally from uh, from the Lower Mainland, and go figure. So Ben Roethlisberger, like weird stories, right? So, you know, who, know, who knows? Maybe John Cena is going to be at uh, an NEW uh, event uh, as, a, as a bystander, as a, I would be someone a in the crowd. I, I'd be a fan. I mean, just the knowing that, that would be awesome. Um, I was looking at this last night before uh, I was trying to get some final things here. Uh, we're almost done. I, I do appreciate you being by, hanging out. Um, all good, man. Wrestling belts. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I think any any kid growing up, I mean, we all watch wrestling at some point, whether they want to admit it or not. Just got to let my dog out here. Go ahead, bud. Have it. Have at it. <laughs> I figured I was trying to get on the deck, but my neighbor's air conditioner is going and we're on a main drag. So traffic, it just doesn't make for good audio. Um, what is your favorite belt? Not the one you wear when you go to work. What's what is your yep. favorite wrestling belt? And I was going through the history of uh, as far as the World Wrestling Federation and now WWE. And I was looking at some WCW ones as well. I know AEW is out there. There's been the ECW um, you know, was it like the, the purple intercontinental belt or the, you know, was it the white when that came out or the blue, was it the spinner? Was it the rated R? Was it the stone cold, um, snake? Like there's been so many cool belts. I saw that, uh, um, there was a wooden one that came out, uh, and now I've kind of drifted away from wrestling yeah. a little bit. Daniel Bryan. Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, that's actually the most badass one of all. Like it just, you know, when you see those really nice wooden watches and like, I, I kind of yeah. want that. What, what's yep. your favorite wrestling strap? So I'm going to go down the road of nostalgia, unfortunately. Like, I thought the spinner was cool. Spinner's kind of a divisive belt because some people love it and some people hate it. But right. I think when you talk to wrestling fans, I would say probably good 60 70% of them would say that the Winged Eagle WWE Championship, the old one, yes. is the best. I yeah. mean, that was Hogan's belt, Macho Man. I mean that was an era where that belt was on some pretty illustrious people and it looks good. Um, I actually like the intercontinental championship. The That's... one that honky tonk man used to wear, um, you know, Ricky, the dragon, Ricky, the dragon steamboat had it for a bit. I mean, I think back to my prime, like when I was a kid, like yeah. teenage Rob and God, that was a good era. Like how could you not get hooked in wrestling in that time? And people will talk about Attitude Era and the belts that came there, like the Skull Belt and all that. And yeah, I mean, they're I cool. Hey, I actually think yeah. that was a downtime for belts, but a great time for content. But if you want to go straight straps, I think the 80s, 90s had the best belts by far. Classic looking, clean. So yeah, I go probably Winged Eagle and the Intercontinental Championship belt. Spinner, honorable mention. The Wood one, the Daniel Bryant one, I agree, is That's actually low-key fire. And um, I'll tell you the one belt that I wish they would shoot into the sun is the 24-7 belt. It's the worst belt by far. The one where you can get a pin anywhere, anytime, yeah. anyplace. You're trying too hard. Uh, yeah, I wish they would shoot that one into the sun. See, I didn't like the European championship belt. Like, I when you're just creating titles. I love that belt. See, but, I mean, like, visually it was fine. I'm just saying, like, I, I always felt the one thing about um, wrestling was oh, that there I was see. two. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, not visually. But I always thought there was like there was the U.S. championship, there was the world heavyweight, there was this, there was that, there was other. I'm like, you guys have too many. Like, I get you want to have champions, but if you break it all back down, it used to be there was the heavyweight championship, there was the intercontinental championship before the WCW, there was a tag team, and then they did have the women's belt as well, and that was always cool when they brought that out because it used to be kind of a it was more of a gimmicky thing, and it now it's become uh you know it's main evented. 
So for me, I would say, I, I mean, Intercontinental Championship for sure, either the white or maybe, uh, I can't remember if they had a blue one or not. I can't remember if the purple even made it or if that was a championship or not. But uh, when they brought out, when there was a different color, because all we ever saw was black. And I thought, whoa, somewhat, they, they changed it. Like this, it was, it was the customization, the, maybe it was the dawn of customization. I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't know if it was Macho Man or if it was Ultimate Warrior where they made the belt yellow. Yes, that's right. It was, it was uh, I think it was the Macho Man. I was, I was, and you might be right. I was looking last night and I'm trying to remember facts that was on there. But the fact that they had different colors, I thought was, was pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Um, we'll finish up on just some, some fun stuff. So you and I both, uh, are sneaker guys, uh, you know, uh, streetwear kind of guys. Um, and I guess we, it's kind of funny thinking about customization because, you know, I guess that Mace, uh, Puff Daddy video when they had the Yankees hats, that was the first time you saw a different color of a Yankee hat. And now look where hats are, right? So um, as far as shoes go, like, are you still getting in on the, the new releases or have you given up because of the bots and the raffles? And No, I, oh, well, I will say it's been frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, like, I really think that that sucks, that the guys at Foot Locker and Champs hook up their friends. I mean, you can call it a raffle until you're blue in the face. Yeah. It's, it's basically what it is. And, um, you know, it's frustrating, but if you're not planning ahead, then in this day and age, you're just not going to get those kicks. Or if you're going to get those kicks, it's going to cost you twi twice as much to get them. But I'm still in on certain shoes. I think probably the last ones that I looked at, and I'm like, yeah, I wanted to take a peek at those, is the Cardinal 3s, the Jordan 3s with mm -hmm. the red. Um, I, I thought those were awesome. Um, I like the denims, the Jordan 3 denims that came out a couple of years ago. I actually thought those were pretty good. But... I mean, the problem with the Jordan ones right now is it's boring. Like it's been a while since I've seen like they had the uh, the shadow grays that came out. Yeah. And I was kind of like, those are pretty nice. But I don't know, like the new Jordans that are out. What is it? The Jordan 38? Those I are think trash. So. I, I well, because Zion's would catch on. They're shitty. Yeah. You're just releasing a shoe for the sake of keeping the brand alive. Like and I get that he's a billionaire and shoes are king and it's a multi-billion dollar industry for obvious reasons for me, like I, I'm the sneaker head of, of my, my friend group. And like, I like, I like, I mean, the fact that Nike has their customization site, new balance actually has one. Those things, oh, they're so comfortable. Um, if you need to walk 20,000 steps in a day, I'd highly suggest a new balance shoe. Um, but I love the fact that more of the low key shoes and they're not even low key anymore. Like Travis Scott has created a pretty big market for the backwards check. Um, I saw one called a flea market that's coming out. It looks like it literally should be buried in the dirt. And yet, like, I can't stop thinking about it. And then like Tom's Tom Sachs or Tom's yeah, Tom Sachs from, um, he's been working with like NASA and everything. There's one, uh, the, the Mars yard shoe where it has like the shroud. It looks like NASA shoes. Um, but he's got one that just came out. It's called the general purpose shoe. And they did a ton of testing. I tried getting in as one of the, the testers for, um, the shoe that they had. And it's basically supposed to be like an everyday neat shoe, but boring shoe. And like these things were swiped up and they, they go to like this online raffle. And like he says he's going to make more so that it's more available. But like how are how because it's just it's basically just like a hype train now that even the most simplest sneakers are getting swiped up and like you said, flipped for triple, quadruple or more the value. And like I just want a cool shoe. Like, I don't want for the hype. I don't want for the clout. I just want to wear a cool shoe that I can think like, man, this goes good with a bunch of the stuff I have. Well, the problem that we're facing is Nike doesn't give a shit because no. they sell the inventory that they have. Foot Locker and Champs and all those places, they don't give a shit because they sell out their inventory. And then it's left to, you know, the vultures and the seagulls as to who's going to be able to get what. So I, I cannot justify the secondary market. I had a feeling that StockX had some duds in there. I had a couple of pairs of shoes from StockX sent out to me that I looked at, and I'm like, even though I see the verification tag on it, yeah, something's mm -hmm. fishy about these, you know, and it's fine. But overall, um, I mean, I married into a family. My brother-in-law, who I love dearly, is 8,000 times the sneakerhead than I am. And I go over to their house, and he's got like a full bedroom wall of every Nike shoe around. Like we're talking like 
seven, 800 pairs of shoes. Oh man. And so I sit there and I just look and we can, the beauty of it is we can pull any box out of any row, any column, open that box and have like a half hour conversation on it. And that to me is why the shoe game is cool for me is I'm not out there in competitionville trying to be the first to rock it or just stored away. Like yeah. I've got Yeezys I've never worn. I've got ones, threes, 11s, all of them that I've never worn, 13s, fours, fives. Yeah. Never been on my feet, never been out of the box, which is whatever. But then when you meet another sneakerhead and you can sit there and talk about a shoe or a place that it took you to, like I bought a pair of British Knights that I really wanted as a kid in 1992 and bought them like a year ago to go with my Maestro Fresh West jacket because I wanted the whole look from like when I was in high school. Exactly. And I afford them. Exactly. That's why I'm in the game is because I'm not trying to flip them, but I love the vibe that I get from them. And, um, you know, will I ever get into the game and flip and try to make money? Nah, man, I wouldn't want to take it away from somebody that is like me that just wants it because it represents something about their childhood or something that they feel makes them walk a little taller and feel a little better. So I don't know. I, I'm very fortunate that if I want shoes, like for example, right now I'm fixed on Jordan golf shoes. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of Jordan ones that are out there right now. I'm an I'm Air Max golf shoe. That's what I'm waiting on. Yeah, no, I, I'm just like, so there's a company, I forget what it's called, if it's golf kicks or something like that, where they send you the cleats and the screws with the glue that yeah. you can make your own running shoes into golf cleats. Right. Um, I, I had a pair of Jordan 3 Tinkers that were still in, I would say like eight, nine out of 10 shape. They had a couple of like modest creases. Sure. Turned them into golf shoes. And I might've had a dozen people stop me on the golf course and they're like, hold on, wait a second. And I, you know, I lifted to show them the sole and they were fully pleated. And they're like, where did you get those? And I said, bro, for 19 bucks, I ordered these cleat packages online. They come in all these different colors and they are just as good as any golf shoes that I'll put on. That is a market that I would love to get into because I thought that was a brilliant idea. I think it was like 29 bucks, pardon me, but you get your full cleat package, takes you about 15 minutes per shoe. And uh, then you're on the course and you're a complete baller. And I loved every second of it. You're scaring me. That's money I didn't know I needed to spend. I've heard about oh, no, it. Dude, I, I almost want to say it's golfkicks.ca. Um, they send you out, I think it's like six or seven cleats per shoe. Right. You, so you just, you drill it in. Uh, it's like a half inch screw, drill it in, glue it. And in an hour, it curates 24 hours. You can golf. And dude, you could take the dirtiest shoes that you've got, like, I'm telling you, I walked out onto the course. Everybody was looking at my shoes and I I modified them for like 30 bucks to be golf shoes. I love it. Okay. I want to finish up on, I want to finish up on this. Where is JT? No, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Um, No, do it. Gary, uh, Gary from move health. uh, You've, you've seen his fire tweets on Twitter there. Um, It was asking Gary. Gary is for people that don't know. um, Gary is an awesome, awesome guy. Um, Ted and I have gotten to know him over the last year and, uh, phenomenal dude. If you ever get a chance to hang out with him, I haven't hung out with him in person yet, but absolutely amazing. I know, you know, him as well. Um, absolutely amazing guy. He wanted to know, is the nation making a return anytime soon? Ooh, uh, <laughs> give us, give us like a teaser, Rob. If it if it was to, it would have to come back in a different studio because it wouldn't be with Hubcast. I own the rights to the show. I own the rights to everything, but it has been mentioned. Hmm. So it's the it's the proverbial stay tuned. It's just a matter of like how many hours are in a day. Yeah. But we have the facility at Equity Guru. Um, I actually work with a guy called Rob. Or I shouldn't called named Rob Simpson who's got time with MSG Network. He has a great hockey podcast, Vancouver Hockey Now. And um, it's it's been talked about, but like I said, it has to make sense. I just think if we can't do it production-wise to the quality that's at least similar to what we did, it's probably not worth doing. But it's it's past phase one. So my goal is to say yes. It's just a matter of uh, can we get it done in time. You heard it here first. Rob Faye says August 1st, the nation will be returning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Rob, um, on behalf of obviously our, our show, People One Podcast, um, thank you so much for I mean, agreeing to do this. I know that you're a busy guy. Um, you did give me a time uh, that was available in the future. And I mean, again, you wear a lot of hats, figuratively and literally. 
Um, but I, I do, I mean, I honestly, I do appreciate uh, that you're able to sit down and have a chat. I really just want to pick your brain about what's happened, where your, your career path has gone. Um, you've done a lot of amazing, very cool, interesting things. And I think um, for all of us, like, I'm happy to be able to one that gets to ask a few of those questions because I really wanted to know. I wanted to know, like, how did this progression get to where it's at and what's in the future? And, you know, I like the guts of things. I like I like to see all the little gears work. And I mean, I know you're a gears guy, too. Like, I know you know that it takes a lot to get to that point. And um, I, I again, I mean, I, I truly appreciate it. It's an absolute honor. Um, NEW, what's uh, what's the next one coming out? I know the summer series is on its way right now. Fill me in. August 20th, Nat Bailey Stadium. 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Hot dogs, cold beer, Saturday. Um, it'll be wild. We're going to have music. Jay Swings, our DJ for that. Uh, we've just got so many things that we're building towards. And I'm just happy that we get to do a show outside. I think we're going to make this a festival. And it might even be worth a drive from the interior to see a show like this. Because it's a, it's a big deal. And it's a sunny Saturday afternoon. I mean, I... I know if I had to twist somebody's arm to go to the ballpark and drink beer, uh, I, I'd have to look at them and say, man, get your act together because this is a no-brainer for me. So I just want to say very quickly, um, I know we're all coming out of a pandemic and a lot of the world has changed. And some of us in these podcast times feel like maybe, you know, our listenership is down and all these things are, you know, changing and there's a thousand new things that are going up against you. Um don't do podcasting for the number of clicks. Do it because you love it and because you want to make good content and you want to meet good people. And I just want to say yours is one of the podcasts that I truly enjoy because it's consistent. It's funny. It's good. You don't take yourselves too seriously. But at the same time, there's always good content. So I just wanted to say thank you for having me on. Uh, and I remain thanks, a fan Rob. of yours. So thanks for making time for That's me. That's awesome. And I, I made sure that I wore my Macho Man Wu-Tang shirt. Um, you got to get one of these. They have different colors. You got to get one. Um, I was trying to find your old intro from the last time we had you on. So, um, oh. I might w try to weasel that in. I, I, we're trying to make sure that we don't get, uh, paused on, uh, on the Spotify and all that. So yeah, apparently there's to, trademarks. Mine, so. Would, so. mine probably would. Yeah, it's, so. uh, it's one of those. Anyway, Rob, thank you so much. Enjoy your afternoon. I might have to twist heads or maybe we'll, uh, use a few bucks and uh, maybe, I mean, not drive because gas is still ridiculous. It's almost cheaper to fly. Maybe we'll find a swoop's got a, a sale. We can fly in yeah. Saturday morning, catch a show, fly back home. So we're sleeping on our bed Saturday night. Might be a good Sweet. idea. There it is. Man. Might Absolutely. be a good idea. Rob Fay of absolutely everything you've ever heard of. Um, but specifically <laughs> NEW wrestling, uh, Rob, again, thanks so much. Uh, have a wonderful afternoon and, uh, you know what, kids? Just just go enjoy yourselves. Have a nice beer. It's sunny day out here in Kelowna. I'm going to go hit some baseballs because we got playoffs this weekend. Good luck. Hi, I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the podcast about broadcast. Every week since 2016, we've been bringing on broadcast leaders to talk about their experiences in radio, what they've seen, and where they believe it is all going. If you live and love radio, subscribe to the Sound Off Podcast with Matt Kundal wherever you get your podcasts. Don't skip this ad. I saw your finger. You were trying to skip the ad. I didn't want to do this, and now we're stuck in it together. I'm Ryan. I'm the host of The Lens Report. The Lens Report is a snarky, humorous, yet balanced look at the headlines that fill your timeline every day. We're going to get straight to the point without muddying any of the waters. And remember, The Lens Report is not your parents' news commentary. We swear a lot here. Like a whole lot. So tune in and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and find us at criermedia.co or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Like they say at the end of all of these ads, it's podcasting. Why are we doing ads?